Welcome back for another episode of The Break Room. I'm your host, Morgan Hensley, and in this episode, we'll explore the trends, challenges, and opportunities independent pediatricians face today. Pediatricians play a pivotal role in children's physical and mental health, especially during this time of skyrocketing rates of adolescent anxiety and depression. However, experts worry that the pediatric workforce is too small to serve patients and families. An article by the American Academy of Pediatrics noted, there is a growing concern that we could face a diminishing number of pediatric healthcare professionals to meet the clinical, research, educational, and advocacy missions that are critical to sustaining and improving the health and well-being of all children. Additionally, the number of independent physicians has dwindled in recent years, with the majority of pediatricians now employed. The American Medical Association has proposed several threats to private practices. Greater administrative burdens, lower payments and contracting leverage, expensive technology, and more. Our conversation explores the empowering role of physician governance, the state of pediatric value-based care, the changing physician partnership landscape, tools and strategies to help independent pediatricians and their patients thrive, and much more. Here with me today to analyze these problems and discuss potential solutions are Melissa Montague, Senior Vice President and General Manager of Privia Pediatrics and Privia Women's Health, and Dr. Elizabeth Flynn, an independent pediatrician based in Virginia. And with that, let's start the show. Melissa, uh, Dr. Flynn, welcome back to the break room. I'm excited to talk with you all again. Um, I'd like to open by asking you all about the joys of pediatrics. So Dr. Flynn, what do you love most about your specialty? What I love about pediatrics is that it varies every day. Never know what I'm going to see who I'm going to see, what I'm going to encounter, uh, the, from a newborn to a 21 year old. So you can imagine all the different, uh, problems and issues that do present to me through the course of a day. Um, and they're kids and you get to have fun. And, um, a lot of the work we do is serious, but you can put a fun spin on things when you're dealing with, toddlers and kids that like bathroom humor um, and whatnot. And the other thing is that it's not just about the kids. It's about the relationships with the families. And I've really enjoyed that over the years, although I initially thought I wouldn't want to be a pediatrician because they have to deal with parents, especially anxious ones. And I didn't think I would be good at that, but I found that I really love being able to make an impact on not only the patient, but on the whole family unit, including the parents. I think that's what I like best about pediatrics. Yeah. Beautifully said, uh, Dr. Flynn. Um, Melissa, what do you most love about supporting pediatricians? I really love the fact that with Privia Pediatrics, we are elevating pediatricians and providing them a voice, um, the ability to have a seat at the table and the strategy and the vision that we are thinking about and moving forward with as an organization. And I know that everything that we work on every day um, 
you know, quite frankly, is working towards the future. So every patient, every person that we touch, it's, it's their future. And so for me, there's some joy in watching our pediatricians take care of these, you know, toddlers, infants, teenagers, you know, all, all of their patients and knowing that they are the future. In, in both of your roles, working with people, um, patients, families, uh, and pediatricians provide so many opportunities for fun and connection while helping shape a better, brighter future. Uh, I want to revisit this uh, interpersonal dimension later on, but first I'd like to zoom out for a minute and look at the larger healthcare ecosystem and ask what trends in healthcare, uh, whether overarching or regionally, impact independent practices and how have these forces impacted Manassas Pediatrics? That's a great question. I've been in practice for 25 years and it has changed a lot over those those years. And in the early uh, 2010s, we were kind of at a crossroads and deciding how, how we were going to proceed into Manassas Pediatrics future. Uh, we had a couple aging providers. We had some changes coming in technology that we did not feel equipped necessarily to undertake. We had a lot of competition with urgent cares and a lot of increasing requirements for compliance in every aspect of medicine and and the business. And we were also facing decreasing hospital care. You know, we basically were seeing a lot of patients in the hospital and we did such a good job of taking care of them that not too many pediatric patients end up in the hospital anymore, which is a blessing. So we were we were facing a lot of changes. Locally, a lot of the smaller practices were merging or being bought by bigger hospital systems. And we knew that we didn't want to do that. We had seen some changes in some of the local practices that lost a lot of physicians, especially the female mom physicians, because there were requirements of them to work a certain number of hours and not have the flexibility to be able to keep their hours the way they were so that they could still have that balance, that work-life balance between um, being a pediatrician and running your family, as we so many of us have to do. So when we faced those decisions, we were looking for something that allowed us to be still independent and make those what hours we work, what services we provided. And um, that's where it led us to talking with Privia because we had to find a way to do that independence and also access the benefits of being part of a larger organization. You know, just having that with the billing and the negotiating with prices on, on ancillary services and stuff like that. So the biggest thing I think is that we have to be able to change and we're not always able to do that when we're set in our ways and not able to look outside of our organization to see what else is out there to help us with that. And I might add, I, th I think for me, the things that really sort of jump out in my mind, um, you know, it is certainly a movement both regionally and nationally for hospital consolidation, uh, where, uh, you know, physician practices, pediatrics included, are starting to um, be employed either through a hospital or even what some might deem a single specialty aggregator where you pull all of one specialty together. That certainly is changing the industry. Uh, more and more 
physicians are moving in that direction and it's harder and harder to remain independent as Dr. Flan has mentioned. Um, the other things that sort of jump out for me that are going to be um, very, very impactful as we go forward are the labor shortage and what is our physician workforce going to look like in the future or advanced practice provider workforce, as well as all of our medical staff, you know, in the office and, you know, medical assistants and lab techs and phlebotomists and all of those things. Are we, are we going to have enough and be able to um, compete in that space for good talent at our practices? And how do we um, help our practices do that and be thoughtful in that? Um, burnout of staff, um, just given recent times and recent trends, is certainly a big issue and um, a hot topic um, that we all must be thinking about. And then the heavy burden of EHR and technology. And while those um, tools are good resources and can bring a lot to our physicians and our clinicians, it also comes with a fair amount of burden. You know, one more click, um, one more thing you got to do. But those are all good things that ultimately, if we can tool it in the right way, can be very impactful for care and quality and better outcomes. And um, thinking our pediatric patients in this case are going to do better in the long run. So there's a lot of things that are sitting out there. And each one of those items ultimately impacts access to care for pediatricians and pediatric patients. You all touched on some very uh, pressing and urgent issues affecting pediatrics uh, and healthcare more generally. Uh, hospital consolidation, burnout triggers, and changes to the physician partnership landscape to uh, call out just a few. To help our listeners understand the issues pediatricians face, I think it would be helpful to discuss what makes pediatrics unique. Um, while every specialty and field is unique, pediatrics is particularly so in that you see patients based on uh, age rather than gender or specific conditions um, as uh, OBGYN or gastroenterologist would. So what are the implications and challenges of this unique quality of pediatrics? Well, as I said before, is that we've got to know a bit of everything in pediatrics. Uh, you have to know a bit of all the specialties. And there's a big difference between caring for a newborn and caring for a, you know, a late teenager or college-aged kid. Uh, and you got to know a little bit of it all. And you got to know when you don't know it um, as well, which is also, also very important. Having those relationships with the parents and the caregivers is uh, an important part to being a successful pediatrician. If you can't have a good relationship with a parent and the caregiver, you, you're not going to be able to care for that that child. Sure, you can give them the medicine and, and do the day-to-day -day stuff, but really you have to be able to forge that relationship. You also have to be able to forge that relationship from having that with the parent and the child to just having it with the child who's not really a child anymore when they reach 18. And that's really difficult sometimes because these parents have been looking to you for 18 years as the one where they're getting their information. And all of a sudden you have to say, sorry, can't give you that information anymore. Let's talk together. And that, that can be a real challenge. Speaking as a mom of two college age kids, I, I get that. That is hard. And, and being able to tactfully maneuver those relationships is a big part of the good and the bad of pediatrics. 
I always say if I wasn't a pediatrician, I wanted to be a first grade teacher. I loved the kids learning how to read and seeing that discovery of when they're making that big leap. But that's also what we do in pediatrics. Every day we're teaching. We're teaching kids, these families, this our next generation of adult patients, how to be patients. And I often will say to them, to my older kids, hey, I want you to answer answer this question. I want you to tell me because I need you to be a good patient when, when you go to my adult colleagues and helping them make that transition is good. So yeah, we got to know a little bit of everything and be able to deal with with all the ages and the all the good and the evil, the, the evil that comes along with it too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love that. Um, I might add there that I think you also are um, counselors, right? Pediatricians are counselors. <laughs> like they have to be able to really sort of wade through not only the physical, but also the, the behavioral health and the mental health. And the interesting part about pediatricians to me, um, and while this affects all physicians, but I think it heavily weights on pediatricians, is sort of all the social determinants of health and, and sort of the whole person, the whole child, as you're thinking about it and, you know, understanding their environment and their life and those caretakers and caregivers that Dr. Flynn referenced, like, how do you understand all of that in a way that you can help that child? Because sometimes the pediatrician is the only go-to for the family. And so pediatricians really drive a lot of that sort of resources and and trying to get people to the right avenue. And so I think they play a great role and not just, again, providing medical doctor, physical help, but all the other avenues and other things that impact that child. And I think it's just an incredibly important, important role, but it's also a very large burden, you know, for pediatricians to carry. And uh, one that I think, you know, for us, we try to shore up around them so that it doesn't feel you know, so daunting and overwhelming sometimes, but um, really allows them to still find joy and what they do as Dr. Flynn described earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dr. Flynn, I'm really intrigued by your point about uh, empowering and educating your patients to advocate for themselves and uh, be engaged in their healthcare. I, I, I'm seeing a bit of a parallel too uh, similar to how pediatricians provide physical, behavioral, holistic care so that children can thrive, organizations should seek to provide the comprehensive support that allows physicians to focus on caring for patients. So, circling back for a minute, pediatrics uh, uniqueness can also lead to challenges as some innovations trends and uh, progress in healthcare don't readily translate to the specialty. For instance, the adoption of value-based care and rapid advancement of healthcare technologies have been slower to take hold. So what is it about the specialty that slows uh, this adoption and progress? I think that's a really complicated question on so many levels. <laughs> Obviously, the trends start in Medicare, and we're talking the other extreme of our healthcare system. You know, the 65 and older, and um, we're dealing with the the younger people. It comes down to a lot of money. You know, there's not a whole lot of procedures that pediatricians do. We don't have the voting block that 65 and older and some adult medicines do. I think that 
has been a barrier. There's the overall lack of valuing keeping a child healthy and how that can impact not only them at that time, but their future and their family's future. And so that doesn't take a lot of technology to have that ability to take care of the child and the family doesn't require a big machine or, you know, lots of expensive medicine. And with so much focus on innovation in that aspect of medicine, we kind of get forgotten in in pediatrics. Insurance companies are also much slower to adopt some of the changes for pediatrics. It takes longer for a new technology to be added. And maybe Melissa would be better to speak as to why (laughs) that, that is, but it takes longer for a new recommendation to be added in in the pediatrics and i think that comes down into that it's a it's a smaller block of medicine that's not seen as important for later yeah i i think you're exactly right dr flynn and and you know the way that i look at it and i've sort of been around the continuum myself you know starting in the payer world and then the hospital and now physician practice management for 20 plus years or whatever but it, it really comes down to pediatrics is sort of a small part of the healthcare continuum and the healthcare dollar. And if you think about our healthcare system overall, we tend to be reactive versus proactive. And so in the case of pediatrics, you're trying to be preventative, right? You're trying to be on the front end of those things. And to Dr. Flynn's point, you know, hopefully driving better care, better health, setting the stage for someone's entire life. And I don't think as a healthcare system, we've put an emphasis on that just yet. We're always on the backside. And so that focus has really been, you know, from CMS at the Medicare, you know, more advanced um, parts of our population and that where they can drive down cost on those surgeries and other, you know, very expensive expensive items. And so that makes perfect sense to me. Pediatrics certainly is in the value-based care space, and we are looking at quality and care gaps. But I would argue that while most don't really identify it like this, I actually think pediatricians have been, without it being um, set up as such, have been doing value-based care for years. Think about what that means. Value-based care means greater access to your physician, trying to be proactive and preventative, trying to get to your doc more quickly when you need them for things. And the way that pediatricians function, if you think about it, is much greater access than the standard adult patient has any day to their to their physician. They're available for phone calls. They do telemedicine, right? They provide weekend after hour support many times. And so that premise of them not being in value based care. Yeah, because CMS really is focused on Medicare, but but the concept of the pediatric patient-centered medical home, most pediatricians have already been doing. It's just not set up formally. And so I think it's how we view it and how we look at it. But I, I think, in fact, if you really drill down, most pediatricians are really functioning at that much higher level and doing all of the things that are very focused on that you would see in value-based care anyway. Um, If you ask pediatricians, their joy and where you see them um, get excited, and you saw it earlier in Dr. Flynn, is when they're making sure that their patient gets everything that they need, every vaccine, (laughs) every checkup, you know, whatever. 
And that, and you see it in them, they smile, they laugh, they're excited about making sure that that patient's taken care of. And it's a very different feel, but it really is truly more, more about that patient and centered around the patient. Um, and so I would, I would actually argue that they're probably doing value-based care and we don't even really know it in a much broader way. Mm, and that, that's a fascinating point um, that in many ways, the pediatricians are delivering the quality care that value-based models seek to promote uh, just without formalizing and uh, signing a value-based contract itself. So in a sense, it's as though the payer element lags behind the, uh, the high quality care. I think you're exactly right, Morgan. I think the payer policy or payer contracting um, policy making, like in the, the government, always lags much further behind actual day-to-day -day care. And so I, I think you're exactly right on that. Your, your responses have got me thinking. Uh, one of the goals of value-based care, uh, and a reason why it's more common in older patient demographics, is to incentivize care coordination, um, quality, uh, and cost efficiency for chronic conditions. Around 80% of Medicare-aged patients have a chronic condition, whereas that number is closer to uh, about a quarter for children. So could managing chronic conditions create opportunities for value-based care in pediatrics? And if so, are there payers that account for this? Yeah, they certainly do. It's just not as weighted heavily as you see in the adult space, because again, the focus has really been around Medicare, Medicare Advantage, you know, those types of programs that CMS has been rolling out. But you do see payers, you'll see children's hospitals um, that have their own ACOs where there's real focus around some of those chronic conditions. Certainly some of our pediatric practices obviously are very focused on some of those things and they you know, they might even have specialized programs that they offer at their practice. So um, that that certainly is a um, key driver. And to your point, those are, if you're going to think about the pediatric space, what are the quality and the care drivers, but also the financial drivers, the few that you've, you know, noted there are certainly the ones that you would want to focus on and really try to drive better outcomes and better metrics and thus hopefully bend the cost curve at the same time. Your mention of those quality and financial drivers ties into the comments you both made uh, a moment ago about how pediatrics innovation can lag because it's a smaller patient population and uh, consequently receives a smaller share of the uh, quote-unquote healthcare dollar. With that in mind, uh, I'd like to ask, how important are continued investments in pediatrics especially for the technology designed to help pediatric patients uh, as well as practices, uh, which, as you've noted, uh, might be struggling right now. In investment in anything that can help us keep the kids healthier and get there faster, better, cheaper, is always important. Since the volume can be low, sometimes the, the cost risk ratio of investment can determine where medical dollars end up. But being able to look at the long term will help us as pediatricians to know that, yes, making this investment now seems like a big dollar amount, but for the long-term health of your population, it's going to be great. 
Investments in technology and practice management, I think, lend itself nicely to, you know, the world that I live in, operations, obviously. And when I think about that, the way that I sort of view it is that all the things we've talked about and all the challenges and while some exciting and some difficult, when you look at those and sort of the future of where we're going, the only way to get through some of those is to really focus and invest in technology solutions and invest in operational efficiencies um, and really thinking about those processes that go along with that, that the technology could actually impact and improve and be helpful to. So I think those things are vitally important. I also think we have a number of practices that um, some have very strong leadership, some don't necessarily, or they're still learning in their career. So, you know, certainly they bring value, but making sure that we are elevating everyone and regardless of what role they are in within a practice, helping them to think about operations, think about how they use technology, think about the solutions to solving some of these challenges that we all face is incredibly important. And the only way to do that is, you know, honestly, to spend a little money and invest up front and you start to really move through that process and then reap the reward of that. And ultimately the patient is the one that's impacted the greatest by that. They get a better experience. They're more satisfied. We're providing better outcomes or they're having better outcomes because we're doing things in a different way. So I think investing in technology and practice management and operational types of experiences are incredibly important and will continue to be a a much needed effort as we move into the future. It's, It's such a great point you both raise. Ultimately, those investments can enhance engagement, satisfaction, and the doctor-patient relationship. One technology that plays a huge role in that experience uh, and outcomes you just mentioned is the electronic health record. EHRs are an essential part of physicians' day-to-day workflows. So how are EHRs different for pediatricians And what are some key features pediatricians should look for in an EHR vendor? I think that the EHR for children is different because we have such a broad range of of ages that we're dealing with. So obviously the documentation for a zero-year-old, one-year-old baby is going to be very different than when you're seeing a teenager. So just that alone, it makes it very different. Describing the the anatomy and and the exam is very different from a newborn to a teenager. Uh, We also rely heavily on our vaccine records. You know, so much of what we're doing is that preventative care and having that vaccine record available to easily download it for the patients in school. Being able to communicate with our state registries is important, but the most important is identifying the gaps, knowing what what is due, when it's due, how to communicate that to the families. And yes, we did that all before EHRs were used, but it was just all in our brains. And now this has, um, has helped a lot with identifying it. And the EHR can develop automatic reminders to the patients when they are experiencing gap in the vaccine. I think some of the challenges of the EHR, uh, privacy for my teenagers, that is definitely a challenge. Having it be convenient to 
families. Sometimes um, some families may not be technologically fluent or literate to be able to access the, the patient portal and to access the information that is so valuable there for them. So being able to teach that to you know different caregivers can be hard. Another unique thing for I think REHR is our growth curves. Adult medicines don't really look at growth curves, but they are really important to us to identify trends in growth or health and having one that's interactive and has the proper data in it is is very important. And then just the day-to-day documentation is hard in pediatrics is a little different than in adult medicine just because of the different areas of the body that are important to us compared to in adults. Lastly, the way we prescribe medicines is so different than adult medicine because we do everything weight-based. Not everything weight-based, but a lot of our medicines are weight-based. So having that being integrated into our technology in the EHR is great. And it's a work in progress. And I think that pediatricians now, especially in a lot of the bigger corporations, we are having a bigger role and because safety is important and being able to uh, identify medications, improper dosing or vaccine gaps is something that people are starting to realize there's a big value in that and uh, having the EHR be a little bit more pediatric friendly helps. Yeah, I, th- I think I would add, and, and um, Dr. Flynn mentioned a lot of really great points. You know, as I think about it, sitting with pediatricians and around the table, it's really pediatric specific workflows. Um, oftentimes you see the EHRs that are out there and there are, you know, one or two that are pediatric specific, but they lose something in translation on the greater whole with payer contracting and things like that. But when you're looking at an EHR, it's really designed around the adult. And so then how do you build out pediatric specific workflows? Um, what I I find most valuable is so often, and Dr. Flynn kind of touched on this a little bit, pediatricians are not necessarily at the table helping to really design those things. And so then how do you do that? Trying to, you know, as best we can navigate ours to make it more pediatric friendly, but also at the same time, improve safety and outcomes and you know, close care gaps and those types of things that help the pediatrician. The other thing that I think is really important from a technology perspective is to have an EHR that allows you to integrate where appropriate so that you can offer, you know, telehealth so that you can offer a patient portal, hopefully texting, you know, all these different types of features that are very, very valuable for patient access and engagement and um, you know, screening tools and those types of things that really, really become incredibly valuable in the workflow. It, refining and customizing EHRs to fit pediatricians' uh, unique needs is absolutely vital as we move forward. Uh, your points around a pediatrician's changing role and the value of involving pediatricians in design and decision-making dovetail perfectly to my next question. To uh, improve these technologies and advance children's care, it's essential that pediatricians have a platform, uh, a seat at the table, to share their expert perspectives and 
uh, first-hand insights. Unfortunately, that is not often the case in pediatrics. However, physician governance can help amplify the clinical voice, uh, empower doctors, and foster collaboration. So what are the key benefits of physician governance and what's needed to ensure it's uh, most effective? Pediatricians are often overlooked in the representation on the organizational level and the governance level. And it is, they do have an important voice for leadership on all levels of the governance of medicine. In my career, I have had the opportunity to be on many different levels of leadership in pediatrics, um, most recently with Privia. This is my first time being, uh, being heard as just an exclusively pediatric voice. And I think that that is very unique for Privia for me at, at this point. And I really like that as pediatricians, we're having a big voice together. I think that has been lacking in my past experiences working on on different hospital committees that pediatricians didn't have a collective voice. And, and when you don't have a collective voice and you don't feel listened, then you're not engaged. And if you're not engaged, you're not going to be able to help with change. You can ask any pediatrician out there, what can we do to make this EHR better? And you will get a list a mile long. Making those changes making those recommendations is easy. Making the changes is hard. And I think that what we are working towards is measurable change. And I think that will engage all of the pediatricians because if you see that, wow, my suggestion was actually taken and there was a change that is made, then you're more likely to give another suggestion to make things easier and better for you. And, you know, we're all working towards that goal of, you know, not only great medicine, but being having a good work-life balance as well as we're taking care of these, these young lives that are so important to us. The pediatrics not being a huge part of the medical dollar, sometimes we don't get the recognition that we need to know that we need documentation help too. And we need to customize customize templates too. And I think that uh, as we uh, have our voice heard, uh, you're going to see more and more um, people engage in in wanting to keep that that different. So engaging that relationship between the pediatrician and the family doc and the internal medicine doc and the some specialists is also really important as we as we move forward. And I know we don't have enough lives to have our own pediatric specialists, but it's important for the corporate side to negotiate those kind of relationships with the pediatric hospitals, with those pediatric subspecialists, so that we can have a good relationship and know that they, those people are also have the same goals that we do in that value, value-based care um, that for the lives that we're sending over, over to them. I might jump in here and just say that I think, as I think about governance, again, vitally important for pediatricians, and Dr. Flynn has touched on a lot of a lot of the reasons why, you know, but looking at it from the whole, I mean, oftentimes what you saw is that pediatricians, unlike more of your adult specialties, really is not in the space unless you're near a children's hospital and maybe become an employed physician that sits with them. 
oftentimes pediatricians weren't really coming together. There was no collective voice. Dr. Flynn referenced a collective voice and there really wasn't. You don't find large single specialty employers out there just for pediatrics. There are a couple here and there that are regional players or whatever, but unlike the other specialties that drive these large, you know, employer private practice employed models um, where they do have a collective voice, that doesn't really, you know, totally exist in the pediatric world. I think that's a problem because again, pediatricians weren't at the table. They were more excited and more thoughtful about taking care of their patients, not necessarily driving the business aspects of healthcare. And that, you know, sort of puts them a little bit behind the eight ball. Um, we have strived, and I'm sure there are other pediatric organizations out there as well, but we have strived to really turn that around a bit where we truly do have pediatric governance. And so Dr. Flynn was referencing her committee. That's our pediatric national physician advisory council. And you know, the physicians and the operations partners on what are what are our key objectives? What are the things that we want to do that we're going to drive for them that make life better and provide better care? So I think that's the important piece to me. And so in my mind's eye, when you think about pediatricians, you know, you should be thinking about some sort of governance that allows you at that strategic or visionary level. You should think about, just as we have, um, some sort of IT advisory component because pediatricians need to be engaged there. You should think about some sort of vaccine advisory council or something in that space because that's a vitally important part of their business that drives essentially, you know, a big chunk of their revenue. And so you have to think about all of those options. The other thing that I think is incredibly valuable in a Privia-like organization is as we bring on pediatricians, giving them the ability to come together to collaborate on that national across market level, which um, a lot of groups don't have the luxury of that. We happen to have that. And so take advantage of that where pediatricians are coming together, sharing ideas about what they're doing in their own independent practices. How do they how do they look at you know growth opportunities? How do they think about driving revenue? How do they think about taking better care on this particular item? How do they solve for chronic conditions? How do they actually take care of those patients? So pulling them together in a very meaningful way where they're sharing, where they're focused on best practice, where they're you know coming up with good ideas together and that translating to the entire whole of pediatricians moving 10% to the right on the curve because everybody's doing better now. That's, I think, our goal where we look at the baseline and we say, okay, everybody's at a different place in their sort of practice and where they are, but how do we take all of them and do 10% better? Every one of them move up 10% or 15% or whatever that looks like, but how do we get everyone in that sort of frame of mind? And that's, you know, that's sort of our goal and what we shoot towards when we think of governance. Uh, 100% physician-led governance, when done right, can unite and align doctors to contribute their perspectives on both that strategic vision and day-to-day improvements, uh, such as the EHR, as uh, Dr. Flynn mentioned. This validation and engagement can then help the entire group uh, progress together. And this idea of a collective voice calls to mind the changes we're seeing in the physician landscape. 
independent doctors now have an abundance of partnership opportunities to choose from. And I've noticed an interesting uh, paradox almost here that by finding a partner, independent physicians can actually increase their autonomy and focus more on care and patients. So how can a partnership help minimize administrative work, uh, boost operations, and allow care teams to connect with patients and families? Our partnerships with, um, with Privia as a group have allowed us to decrease our administrative time greatly. The work of business was not something we were taught in medical school or residency. And it took us a lot of time away from our patients to do that administrative work, because not only did we have to do it, we had to learn how to do it first. And focusing on the patient care and rather not corporate compliance and billing and negotiating contracts and stuff, even if that added one to two hours a week, has increased our bottom line because we can focus on patients at that time rather than on the the business side of it. And I'd much rather be helping my little ones have a healthy life than punching numbers into a computer screen or talking to a salesman, for sure. That partnership has allowed us that flexibility to do more with the patients and value that time more than the business. Yeah, I think I would add that they can truly focus on, as Dr. Flynn says, taking care of their patients in a great way, you know, taking care of how the clinic runs or how the care center runs and the practice runs. And so that does give greater work-life balance. That does allow for you to focus on patients. That does allow for you to have a little bit of flexibility in your own life um, versus, you know, where many practices sit today, they are trying to take care of a full load of patients. And then yet they have, you know, five, six, 10 hours of business work that still needs to be done. Someone still needs to manage that practice and think about scheduling and paying the bills and, you know, making sure the, the staff got paid and, you know, all of those aspects of things. And while Privia does not um, cover every detail of that, we provide a great high level service for physicians that do enable them to be uh, focused on what they want to do. And that's take care, take care of their patients um, in a very meaningful way. Wonderfully, wonderfully said. Uh, I, I like to end episodes by looking ahead uh, to the future. And over the next few years, I'm wondering, what do you see as the biggest developments, uh, trends, and changes in healthcare? And what are the implications for pediatricians, especially independent pediatricians? I think a really exciting trend is the emphasis on the uh, value of care. You know, just knowing that the getting care and spending time with your physician and having access to your physician is valued. And I hope that medicine will continue to look at that as as a value as pediatricians are shaping the future generation and hopefully a future healthy generation. 
I, I, should, I think it will continue to be difficult to compete in the independent physician as more of these kind of corporate practices start popping up. And we're starting to see them integrate or, or invade our system here, especially in the urgent care setting. And urgent cares are now wanting to be your primary care physician. And uh, we have to be able to compete with that. And how do we compete with that? We compete with that by giving good quality, consistent care, having physicians and other uh, physician extenders that are there for the long term taking care of these patients, because we know that these corporate entities tend to have more more turnover. So just having the, the value of our time and keeping the, the family together and educating the family towards a healthy future, I think that's going to be harder as an independent physician. So having that value of that time of that particular doctor is going to be what is the exciting part for the future to help us succeed and continue to succeed. And I would just add, I, th- I think, you know, from my perspective, one of the greatest things that, that we're going to be faced with as we move forward in the future is access, you know, access to, to care. And um, I think it's going to be extremely important for pediatricians to be able to continue to provide that access and to meet patients where they are. Um, and especially in the pediatric world, because as Dr. Flynn has noted a couple of times, their population is you know, vastly different from a newborn to a teenager, right? But so meeting the patient where they are so that they want to engage with the physician in a different way and in a more thoughtful, proactive, preventative way around their own health care, I think is going to be really important and certainly is going to be challenged with our physician shortages and APP shortages and others as we move forward. The other thing, and you know, Dr. Flynn mentioned value and and I agree with her. I think transforming, you know, from the fee-for-service to the value-based care world is going to continue to be more and more important in, in all aspects of healthcare, but I think um, especially um, in our uh, pediatric space and primary care world. And then the other thing I'll say is I think we as an, you know, a country and as a society are going to have to figure out a lot of those social determinants and they play such a vital part to taking care of a patient and an individual. And so that I think we're going to have to see some transformation around understanding that better and sort of our public health and overall, how does that tie to individual's health and what does that look like in communities and in markets and in regions? And, you know, how do we think about that, that in a different way? And ultimately, that's going to impact policy and how the world, or at least in our case, the country thinks of, you know, our healthcare system. So I think there's probably lots of exciting things coming, but also some challenging things. We have a number of organizations that you know, people like to use the term disruptor. And yes, I think they are disruptors in some way, but it's a good disruption, right? They're thinking about healthcare in a different way. They're challenging themselves to to do things differently or to think differently that brings a, a different lens for how we look at things. And hopefully that's going to impact pediatric patients just like it is adult patients and, and get us to better outcomes and get us to better care, ultimately. <laughs> I, I think that is the perfect note to conclude the uh, informative, uh, engaging discussion we shared today. 
So, Melissa, Dr. Flynn, I so enjoyed our conversation. Thank you both so much for coming back on The Break Room and sharing your perspectives with our listeners. Pleasure talking with you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to you, our listeners, for tuning into The Break Room today. You can find content by our guests, as well as many other physicians and healthcare industry thought leaders on Informed, the blog by Privia Health. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and blog to stay up to date on all things healthcare. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I will see you next time for another episode of The Break Room. So stay tuned 